than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care with guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Merrill Griff. Welcome to Caught Between Generations, and thank you so much for joining us today. As a caregiver, I know your life is challenging and difficult, and time is a really important factor for you. So I really do appreciate that you've decided to spend some time with us today. The sleep doctor's in the house, so whatever you were doing before, stop doing. Wake up. Stay alert. We have a lot to talk about. So Dr. Michael Bruce, who is the sleep doctor, joins us today. He is a clinical psychologist who is a regular contributor to the Dr. Oz Show and a member of Dr. Oz's Clinical Advisory Board. We're going to change what we usually do today just a little bit. We've had so many emails um, from you and so many questions that you wanted to ask Dr. Bruce. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and ask him that, if that's okay with you, Dr. Bruce. Of course. Great. Okay. So we have Martha from Sheboygan um, who wants to know, she says, I've heard an awful lot about the impact that the lack of sleep has on your health. Um, I want to know if that's true. However, I've gotten really, really good, she says, at making up my sleep on the weekends. I mean, like, isn't that good enough? Mm-hmm. So here's, there's pros and cons in that direction. Um, and I, I don't think I caught it. Is she, is, is, um, is this person um, not getting a lot of sleep during the week, like three or four hours? And, and, and why is that? Or is it just um, I think, I think it's, it has to do with um, her work schedule and I, from what I'm reading and a variable work schedule. So her okay. sleep is not real consistent during the week. Got it. So when we have people who have situations like this where they they actually physically cannot maintain a particular schedule, then it's a very different scenario. Generally speaking, it's not a great idea to catch up on sleep on the weekend. Uh, Here's why. Um, As the body extends sleep, so let's say normally you wake up at 6.30 during the week, but then on the weekends you sleep until 10 or 11, just by moving your, your sleep by 30 minutes, you actually influence your circadian rhythm. So for folks out there who may not be familiar with that term, circadian rhythm is your internal biological clock. It tells you when to eat, but it also tells you when to sleep. And so by extending the time in the morning, you actually shift the entire schedule and you can get what's called social jet lag. So you sleep in on Saturday morning, you sleep in on Sunday morning, guess what your brain wants to do on Monday morning? (laughs) Um, Uh Unfortunately, sleep in. So that can have pretty significant effects, especially if you've got a variable schedule um, that that can be difficult. But if you have a consistent schedule, the more consistent the wake-up time, the better. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It's just, you know, what happens is, is you know, what I, you know, personally love, and I, I'm sure many of us do, is on that day when you're off that you don't have to set the alarm. 
And, you know, that's kind of the joy of that day off. And so I think that's how we end up sleeping longer. So are you suggesting maybe we do set that alarm? So we're not too far off where where we I are am. the rest of the um, week. I, I really think that it's it's necessary to um, to set an alarm every day for sleep, and it needs to be consistent. Um, and, and again, your body responds well to consistency. Um, now, again, this woman has a variable schedule, so in this case, I might actually say, you know what, it's okay to wake up at your consistent time, but take a nap. Um, at some point in time to catch up on a little bit of extra sleep. Now, your naps are where it gets interesting. You don't want to nap for longer than about 25 minutes. Otherwise, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I sure have. Uh, I nap too long, and I wake up and I feel worse than when I started. Um, Keeping it under 25 minutes keeps uh, the nap well within the lighter sleep range, and that can be extremely helpful in terms of being able to be awake and alert after the nap. Or people should go for a 90-minute nap. Now, that might be possible for some people on the weekends. I don't know a whole lot of people who can take a 90-minute nap during the daytime, but uh, taking a 90-minute nap, which would be roughly one full sleep cycle, could actually be pretty beneficial to somebody who has a variable schedule. That's really interesting. So on the weekends, I mean, I don't get to nap a lot, but if I wanted to, I mean, I set my alarm so that I wake up. Otherwise, I could probably sleep for hours on the weekend. But so if I didn't want to do that quick, if I felt really, really tired, I could do a 90 minute and that would be okay. I think that falls into the category of okay. However, there is one caveat for all of our listeners out there. If you have insomnia, do not nap. Um, the data is very, very clear that people with insomnia are not, number one, they're not very good nappers, but number two, it will affect their ability to not only fall asleep, but to stay asleep at night. So one of the things that I'm oftentimes talking about with people is whatever you do, don't um, nap if you have insomnia because it, it can, in fact, make your situation significantly mm-hmm. worse. All right, let's go to another uh, email. Um, This is a woman after my own heart because uh, she wants to talk about, this is Irene, I'm sorry, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who asks about the impact of sleep on weight gain. And her question is, I love this, her question is, so if I stayed in bed more, would I get thinner? So this is actually a more common question than you might imagine for me. So um, you may remember that I wrote a book called The Sleep Doctor's Diet, Lose Weight Through Better Sleep. Um, and um, when, I, when that book came out in 2000, and I think it was 11 or 12, um, a question that I got asked was, is Ambien the new diet pill, right? So could, and the, the concept here is, could sleeping more allow me to lose weight? And so the answer is kind of, sort of. So what, here's what we know is if people are sleeping the right amount for them um, on a regular basis at the right time for them, then yes, we can actually see some weight loss to occur. Um, the data is actually very interesting looking at the timing of eating for weight loss as well as um, having a time frame for eating. And what I mean by that time frame issue is eating within a 12-hour period. So you, you have all of your meals within 12 hours or all of your meals within eight hours. Um, this actually sets your metabolism up to actually uh, go through the food fairly quickly, um, and weight loss can be uh, actually pretty substantial uh, when looking at it that way. But when we look at people who are sleep-deprived, 
um, like people with insomnia, people with sleep apnea, or just people in general, we know that there are actually four things that occur with sleep deprivation that will affect your ability to lose weight. Uh, the first one is that when you become sleep deprived, and by the way, sleep deprivation is individual, um, so it might only be being deprived of an hour's worth of your sleep that night, um, your, your cortisol levels will raise um, because your brain doesn't know why you aren't asleep, and so it wants you to be worried about possible things, and that's why your cortisol is high because that's the fight or flight hormone. Um, but when your cortisol is high, it actually causes an increase in appetite. And so your brain wants more resources. And so you're immediately going to get hungrier the more sleep-deprived you, you become. The second thing that happens, which is interesting, is your metabolism actually slows down. Uh, the reasoning we think for this is for your body to conserve resources. So appetite is increased to put resources in, like eating a lot of food, and then metabolism slows down because we don't want to use up the food that's in the system. Again, when you're sleep-deprived, your brain thinks, oh, my gosh, there must be some sort of emergency going on why I'm not sleeping. The second big area that's affected by sleep deprivation are hormones. Uh, two hormones in particular, and you don't have to remember their names, but just for giggles, one is called ghrelin, um, that's spelled G-H-R-E-L-I-N, and this is the go hormone. This is the hormone that actually uh, makes you feel hungry. By the way, hunger and appetite are two different things in the brain. Uh, the second thing that happens is there's a reduction in a hormone called leptin. Leptin turns out to be incredibly important for people who want to lose weight because it's the hormone of satiety or making you feel full. So you have about 15% less leptin or feelings of fullness, and you have about 20% more ghrelin, which is the go, 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 eat more, eat more hormone. Um, and then the final piece to the puzzle, and I know I'm, it's a very long explanation, um, the final piece to the puzzle is the more, there was a great study at the University of Chicago that showed that when healthy alternative snacks were placed on a table and cakes and cookies and pies were placed on the on a, a opposing table, that when people became sleep deprived, they immediately went for the cakes and the cookies and the pies. They actually reported cravings for sweets that were fairly significant. Um, we think this has to do with the brain not liking this elevated level of cortisol and wanting to produce serotonin. The easiest way for our brains to produce serotonin is to eat high carbohydrate, high fat foods. So in summary, what, here's what happens when you're sleep deprived. You got too much appetite, you have a low metabolism, you have high hunger, you have low feelings of being full, and by the way, you crave cakes, cookies, pie. So it's not great. Wow, that was really, it was, <laughs> it was a little long, but it was really, really interesting. Let, let me uh, go to another email that is another, I'm sure you hear this all the time because we've been mm -hmm. mentioning a lot about insomnia. And um, Bob from San Diego, California, is concerned that he, as he's getting older, he seems to need less sleep. He says, I get up in the middle of the night and can't seem to get back to sleep. This is very frustrating. What do I do? So very, very common um, to hear that as people get older, their sleep becomes uh, less consistent. There's, there appear to be several reasons for this. Number one, uh, right around the age between 50 and 55, we start to see a decline in the production of natural melatonin by our pineal gland, which is basically in the dead center of the brain. Uh, remember, all, everybody out there, melatonin is kind of that key that starts the engine for sleep. We need our brain to produce it. And right around this age, this is when we see um, a lack of this. So supplementation with melatonin as you get older, uh, somewhere between a half and one and a half milligrams, about 90 minutes before bed, uh, can be very helpful in those in uh, seniors uh, and in that uh, slightly older demographic. 
Um, I say slightly older because I am entering into that demographic uh, this coming year. I will be 50 myself, uh, and so I am not looking forward to that. Um, also, we see a difference in brainwave activity, believe it or not, as we get older. Um, the, uh, the, the depth of our stage three and four sleep, which is our physically restorative sleep, often changes. Uh, and then finally, if somebody is taking any medications as they get older or are currently having any medical situations, this can be very disruptive of sleep. So it's not a surprise when somebody tells me as they get older, they, they have poor sleep. So now the question is, what do I do about it? The more consistent your schedule is, the better in this case. Um, also trying to avoid daytime napping. A lot of my people who, as they get older, they don't have as much to do during the day. They might be watching a little television. They fall asleep at the ball game or a game show or what have you. Try to avoid that at all costs. Also, the more active an individual is, the better quality sleep they will have, especially as they kind of go up in years. So one of my recommendations is absolutely positively keep a very consistent sleep schedule, um, number one. Number two, um, avoid things that could disrupt your sleep, like caffeine past 2 p.m. Um, or alcohol uh, late in the evening. Both of those are big sleep disruptors. Um, and number three would be having exercise on a regular basis. This is the easiest way to improve your overall level of sleep quality. And then finally, getting sunlight each morning right after you wake up. This helps reset your circadian clock and should prevent any daytime sleepiness that somebody might experience. So that's that's interesting. So you need to get that sunlight in the morning. Absolutely. So it turns huh. out that the sun, um, there are different wavelengths of light that come from sunlight. It's a full spectrum. And one of those wavelengths is blue light or approximately 460 nanometers. This is important because it turns out that we all have specific cells in our eyes called melanopsin cells. These cells are actually triggered by this particular wavelength, and they tell the melatonin faucet in our brain to turn off. So having sunlight in the morning actually will help you wake up. And by the way, this is also one of the reasons why we also recommend that people do not, I repeat, do not use electronic devices just before bed because they will emit blue light, which will make it difficult for people to fall asleep. So generally speaking, I ask people to do an electronic curfew approximately an hour to an hour and a half before bed. Huh. So um, our fourth email I found very interesting. It comes from Marsha okay. from Tampa, Florida. And actually mm-hmm. it has to do with sleepwalking. Um, okay. She writes that she has a cousin whose child sleepwalks, and they are mm-hmm. actually coming to visit her over the holidays. She says, they'll be staying in my home, and frankly, I'm worried and just a little bit scared that something might happen to this child while in my home. Is there anything special that I should do to prepare for this visit? Yes. So first of all, roughly 25% of children are sleepwalkers, so that's one in four kids or grandchildren, as the case may be. So it's not a particularly uncommon scenario. It's all about safety. So one of the first things I ask people to do if they have a sleepwalking child, either visiting or living in the home, is uh, take the baby gates that you see, you know, at the, you know, Walmart, Target, Kmart, whatever, and um, put them at both the top and the bottom of any staircases. The problem that you have with sleepwalking children, especially in an unfamiliar environment, is they can take a tumble down the stairs, and then you've got a much bigger problem on your hands than just a child wandering the hallways. So having uh, the baby gate at the top and the bottom, uh, you want to prevent access in both directions. 
um, that can be very important. Uh, the second factor is if people just go to Google, you can type in something that's called a, uh, a door alarm or a hotel door alarm. It's a little unit. It's like 20 bucks that will hang on the door handle. And when the child goes to reach for the door handle and jiggle it to open, it will send off a, not a loud piercing alarm, but enough to wake the child up and allow them to realize, oh, my gosh, I'm sleepwalking. And then they can hopefully put themselves back to bed. Um, the, the final thing that I always recommend people do is if you have any um, doors that open to the outside or windows that have a key lock, then remove the key so that way during a sleepwalking haze, somebody just doesn't walk over and unbolt the lock. We've had, um, I've had situations where I've had children literally walk out the front door and fall asleep on the grass outside the house um, from sleepwalking before. So it's not an uncommon situation. It's very good that these that people are thinking about it, and safety, safety, safety is our biggest concern. Wow, that was really helpful. Thank you. So mm-hmm. I'd like to talk a little bit about your book, The Power of When, um, sure. because as you know, in our in our discussions, I was so impressed uh, by the book. Well, and, I, and I'm going to quote something that you said in the book. Uh, and it, you said, the key to unlocking your potential is to get back in sync with your natural rhythm. It's time to stop worrying about what to do or how to do it and begin focusing on when to do it, which is the power of when. And in that, you talk about chronotypes. Um, Can you explain what a chronotype is? Of course. So a chronotype, and and thank you, by the way, that's very sweet of you. Um, A chronotype is a genetically predetermined schedule. So people may not have heard the word chronotype, but they've probably heard of somebody being called an early bird or a night owl before. Those are two examples of the four different potential chronotypes that are out there. Um, I renamed the chronotypes in the book um, because I'm not a bird, I'm a mammal, and I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to identify <laughs> with an animal that was a little bit more like me. Um, and I actually chose animals that have very different schedules. So early bird turns into a lion. Um, lions are really my COOs of the world. These are... Um, very regimented people. They wake up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, they're sending out emails. They may have to create a list each day that they go down the path with, it, you know, from step one to step two to step three. Um, it's kind of interesting. The problem with lions, however, is socially dinner and a movie is out because they're, they're exhausted by 8 o'clock at night because they've been up since <laughs> 5 o'clock in the morning. So a lot of them have some social issues. And it's interesting because over the course of time, sometimes people may be one chronotype and then turn into another one, um, especially as they get a little bit older. And one of the ones that people have a tendency to lean towards is this lion one as they age. They represent, by the way, about 10 to 15 percent of the population. The second group are bears, and they represent a large part, almost 55% of the population. And let's be honest, it's a bear's world. I mean, it's actually really, bears would be the best one to be because the world really runs on a bear's schedule. These are people who are generally extroverted. They wake up around 7, 7.30. They go to bed around 10.30 at night. Um, they are really nice, wonderful people to work with, and these are the people that really get stuff done. Um, they also have a nice social side to them, so they have a tendency to be more social as well. Um, The third group are what I call the wolves, and they're the night owls. Now, I am a wolf. I actually never go to bed before midnight. Um, I'm up around 6.30, 7 o'clock. 
um, which is weird for a wolf. Usually I would, rather, I would much rather sleep in, by the way, but I don't. I keep my schedule very regimented, and it's actually quite helpful. My wolves have a tendency to be my introverts. They're my creatives. They're my artists, my actors, my authors, um, things like that. Um, these are people who don't show up to a party until 10 o'clock at night. Um, and um, oftentimes teenagers are wolves by their very nature and by their genetics. The final category are dolphins, and these are my problem children. These are my problem sleepers. Um, I actually chose dolphins as the mammal to represent them because dolphins sleep uh, what's called unihemispherically, so only half of their brain is asleep while the other half is awake and looking for predators. And I felt like that was an interesting representation for my folks with insomnia. But my dolphins are a lot like my lions, but they're a little bit more neurotic, a little bit more obsessive, and don't have nearly as good a sleep. Um, but they are highly intelligent people, very competent, do a lot of good stuff out there. You know, it was very interesting to me um, when I read your book because um, you have a quiz um, in the book where you could figure out uh, whether you're a lion or a dolphin or a bear or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and I took it and my husband took it. Um, mm-hmm. And it was very interesting because you have clocks in the back. I'm telling you what you have in your book. Isn't that ridiculous? Okay, obviously I need more sleep, right? <laughs> but it was so fascinating to us um, because mm-hmm. it gave us tremendous insights um, yeah. into into times of the day when we seem to be kind of in conflict with each other. Um, right. And it really had, a lot of it had to do with our sleep patterns. And once I could learn to accept his sleep pattern and he could learn to except mine, um, a lot of that um, went away. It was very interesting to me, and it was very, very helpful. So thank yeah, you. So, you know, what you experienced is the thing that I did not expect uh, when I published the book, is it's really turned into a really interesting communication tool for many people. And so couples will have each other take the quiz exactly like what you did. Um, and if they have children, the children take the quiz. And if there's extended family, they take the quiz. And all of a sudden, people are like, oh, well, you're a morning person, so it makes a lot more sense for me to talk to you in the morning um, about certain things than it would in the evening when you're kind of comatose and out of it. And it's been remarkable to see how people, uh, it affects people. And, you know, and it's not just about communication. It can be activities. I mean, as you know, there's a, I have an entire section in the book on sex and what is the best time for sex. And, you know, if people have two different chronotypes, that can be a challenge. Okay. We're not going to talk about sex right now. Actually, we're going to take a break. Um, and when we come back, actually, we're going to talk about tweeting. Um, okay. And someone we know very well, President Trump, has certainly been doing a lot of tweeting. This is not going to be a hot topic. We're not going to be talking about politics. Um, but we are, going to be ta- we are going to be talking about tweeting. And I'm, I am waiting to hear about Dr. Bruce's um, actual experience, personal experience in interviewing and talking to President Trump. So stay with us. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where's your dad? What's he doing? You'd know if he was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know he's enjoying a full day of cooking, computers, yoga, golfing, and he's home by dinner. You'd know Sarah Care LPN and RN Nursing Care is with him to ensure he gets the right medications at the right dosages. You'd know. How's your dad? He's just fine. At Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care. 
Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations, and I am here with Dr. Michael Bruce, who is the author of many books, but we've just been discussing the power of when. Um, Dr. Bruce is one of only 163 psychologists in the world with his credentials and distinctions, which is very, very impressive. He's a diplomat of the American Board of Sleep Medicine and a fellow of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, and we are so honored um, that you're joining us again. Um, you sent me an editorial that was very interesting, and it had to do with President Trump's um, use of <laughs> right. tweeting and what some people might call, you know, some of us um, might have called an addiction to social media. Um, and, and you wrote in that note, right. I was very interested that you actually had the opportunity to have a personal conversation with Mr. Trump while he was running for president. So That's can right. you share with us kind of the essence of the editorial and then what your exchanges were with him when you met with him? Sure. So the study was actually um, published um, in the American Academy of Sleep Medicine's uh, big journal, um, and it was, it was actually quite fascinating. And so what they basically looked at was the timing and the content of President Trump's Twitter tweets, I guess they're called, Twitter activity tweets. Tweets. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they came to the conclusion that he's probably only sleeping roughly five hours a night. Um, and the conclusion was basically come to based looking at all. So what they did was they went through all of the tweets and looked at the timing of the tweets um, and tried to figure out, you know, assuming that he was the person that pushes the button that says, go send out this tweet. And I think we can pretty consistently argue that that's probably the case, because quite frankly, not to get political, but if I was on the president's staff, I'm not so sure I would want to send out some of the tweets that he's sent out so far. Um, right. The, I would the, tell him, go back to sleep. What's wrong with right. you? 
Yes. <laughs> exactly. The, the thought here is, is that he's sleeping five hours or less a night, um, and that's pretty much a lot less than the recommended to seven to nine hours for, for genuinely for adults. Now, I actually had a unique situation occur. I'm happy to share my, my experience. I was actually on the CBS early show, um, and I, I, I frequent the early show. That it's one of my favorite uh, morning television shows to work with. And um, I walked in, and, the, and there was all this security around. And I said to my producer, hey, what's going on? Is there somebody, like, big and important coming in? And she said, well, I can't actually say. Uh, and I said, come on, they're going to walk through the door. And they said, I'm sorry, just go ahead into the green room. And so the green room at the CBS early show um, actually has cameras in it, and they do several uh, segments from inside of there. So I wasn't, you know, I was kind of on my best behavior. I didn't know who was going to be walking through the door that required this much security. I look up, and Donald Trump walks right through the door and sits down literally next to me in the green room. It's just me and him, and the executive producer at the time, Chris Lick, came over and says, you know, uh, you know, uh, Donald, I want you to meet Dr. Michael Bruce, blah, 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 because they were old friends. They've been, it, Donald was on the, it, President Trump, rather, has been on the show many, many times. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, now President Trump turned to me, uh, he wasn't the president at the time, he was one of 17 delegates at the time, and he actually asked me some very poignant questions. Uh, one of them was, is sleep deprivation really that big of a deal? Uh, and so I was very, it was very easy to quote off all the studies. Um, and he said, you know, help me understand what happens when you're sleep deprived from a productivity standpoint. We discussed that a little bit. Um, and, um, you know, he, he was actually very gracious and thankful and, was, and valued the information. Um, as many people know, he has been reportedly um, a short sleeper. So these are people who don't require a tremendous amount of sleep. Um, uh, at least that's been the rumor. I actually asked him, you know, how is your sleep? You know, do you get enough sleep? You know, just because that's what I do. And um, he definitely does not sleep five hours. He sleeps more than five hours per his report. Um, and so I think that while the, the study itself is interesting, I, I'd be hard pressed to believe that he is really sleeping only five hours a night. Yeah, however, Michael, it is, I mean, it is true that people under pressure um, yeah. or during extremely stressful times in their life don't sleep well, and yet that's when you need more sleep, and that's when you need the rest. I mean, what are your suggest suggestions for when you're going through those kinds of times, difficult times? So the key factor when you are going through a very stressful time is consistency, consistency, consistency. And remember, it's really about consistency of the wake-up time um, more than anything else. If you wake up at 6.30 during the week, doggone it, I want you waking up at 6.30 on the weekend. Um, because that really, re it, you hit the reset button um, every single morning on your sleep schedule. And that's the best way to do it is by actually forcing yourself to wake up at a particular time. And by the way, forcing only happens for a little while. Eventually, your body gets so used to it, you just wake up. I mean, I can tell you right now, I wake up every day somewhere between 6.13 and 6.22 um, naturally. My body just kind of all of a sudden, I look around, and I'm like, huh, I wonder what time it is. I look over at the clock, and I'm like, yep, I'm, I need to get up in the next five minutes. So the consistency really does pay off because your body adapts to it nicely. You know, I find myself, you know, and this is why the time change drives me crazy in a oh, way. Yeah. You know that um, I'm just better getting well. I'm better getting up when the sun is up. So 
So, you know, if I if I look at you know my weather app and it says to me the sun's going to rise at six forty five, and I set my alarm for six forty five, I'm to go. All right. If I have to get up while it's still dark, you know, I'm I'm not in a good mood. Um, and it's harder for me to to become productive, you know. So this whole time change just just drives me a little crazy because I think it throws you off your natural rhythm. And it does absolutely. Now the good news is is that it takes the average adult approximately one day per time zone to adjust. And when we lose an hour or gain an hour, uh, actually losing an hour is far worse. Um, it'll only take our bodies, at least in theory a day to adjust. However, here's what I can tell you. Children, it definitely takes longer. Um, and uh, people who are over age 55 to 60, it definitely takes longer. Um, that's been my clinical experience as well as my personal experience when I've traveled with my children during time changes. So let's talk about dreaming. Um, uh-huh. So one of the one of the other articles that you sent me, I found extremely interesting, um, yeah, and it was all this concept of lucid dreaming. So can you explain what lucid dreaming is? It's really pretty exciting and it's pretty amazing. So lucid dreaming uh, was a term that was coined by Dr. Stephen Lavarge or Laverge um, almost forty years ago, and he was able to document the phenomenon of being in a dream and becoming conscious during that dream. And what I mean by that is you actually realize, holy cow, I'm in a dream. And at that point, the laws of physics do not apply in a dream. And you can fly like Superman. You can hang out with a supermodel. You can drive a race car. You can do whatever the heck you want um, during these times. And you're fully conscious of that ability to do that. Now, this is a skill Um, I personally am a lucid dreamer and have been since I was a very young child. Um, I don't do it often, um, but there is a skill uh, that can be um, uh, gained by doing this. There was a very interesting study that came out, and that's the study you're referring to down in Australia, where they looked at different induction methods, meaning different um, protocols in order to induce or force a lucid dream. Um, and um, that was a, quite a fascinating article, but it brought about a lot of interest for me because once you start to think about, like, what is the utility? What, why would we ever want somebody to have a lucid dream? Well, number one, it's going to be fairly entertaining and a lot of fun, but number two, um, if there was a way to communicate back and forth between the, conscious, uh, the unconscious lucid dreamer and the real world, Um, there's a lot of interesting things that could be done there. Um, Specifically, uh, think about virtual reality on steroids. Um, You could uh, face your biggest fears. For people with PTSD, it could be a great way to uh, work through some mental health issues. Uh, Honestly, the list goes on and on. So I'm I'm very excited to see research being done in lucid dreaming um, that's highly scientific and, uh, and, and very good studies. You know, it's, it was very interesting because when we were at the CES, the Consumer Electronics Show last year, mm-hmm. um, I was at a presentation um, about virtual the use of virtual reality with PTSD, mm-hmm. um, and and that research was beginning to show that they thought anyway it was fairly effective. Um, yes. In many cases of the treatment of PTSD, so so what you're saying is this is somewhat similar. To that is is that correct? Uh, what or no? I, yeah, what I'm suggesting is 
in the future, if people continue to study lucid dreaming and, and can get to the point where it can be uh, reliably induced, I think it opens up an entirely new, cool, amazing opportunity to help people in a very unique way. Okay, that's interesting. So I want to go back to asking your advice um, about mm-hmm. some questions that have come in. So one of them has to do with um, transitions. Um, so for instance, um, we, we had two examples. One was for seniors who are now transitioning and moving, um, let's say, to an assisted living um, or to a nursing home. And the other had to do with transitions between homes for children who, whose parents have now become divorced um, and they're all and moving from home to home. So could you address both of those? Sure. So when people are transitioning into an assisted living scenario, um, one of the big questions I always have is soundproofing in the rooms, um, what kind of lighting is available, and what is the, the, the food schedule? Um, because in a lot of the nursing facilities, there's, a, you know, there's breakfast from a certain time, lunch from a certain time, dinner from a certain time. And sometimes that works well for people in a particular chronotype, and sometimes it doesn't. So, you know, when you're looking at these transitions, especially for people who are older and in many cases medically frail, it's incredibly important to know and understand the amount of light that they're receiving and when they are receiving it. There's actually a scenario called sundowners syndrome, which is actually very common in early dementia, early Parkinson's, where when, when individuals who have those situations don't get enough light exposure at night, they can become very agitated, in some cases violent. Um, and so the, the good news is, is that that's all actually very easy to treat with light therapy and having these light boxes um, available to people. So that's certainly one thing that I'm, I'm always concerned about is what's the regularity of the sleep schedule, um, what's the light exposure? Is the soundproofing good enough so that people can fall asleep? Things of that nature. Um, also, what kind of medications are they receiving? When are they receiving the medications? Because, of course, many medications can have effects on sleep. Michael, um, I want to stop you for a minute. Mm-hmm. I, Michael, I, I want to go back to something that you said about the light boxes sure. or, or sun lamps, which I'm assuming can you also use... Sun lamps are a little bit different just in terms of the frequency of the light that's being emitted, but there are commercially available light boxes. I mean, people can just go on Amazon and they can get them all day long. Okay. So for someone with um, early dementia or early or Parkinson's disease, I want you to repeat that because they should be using the light boxes at night or later in the day? Mm-hmm. Yes, so is that for, correct? depends. So in the particular, in sundowners or in um, just regular light therapy? No, in sundowners. So for sundowners, the protocol is actually to provide a particular wavelength of light in the evenings um, that actually helps them um, become less agitated. So it turns out that when the sun goes down and there's not enough light exposure, that's when the behaviors seem to occur. And so uh, just a little bit of light therapy can actually go quite a long way and it turns out that it's not particularly disruptive to their sleep at night. Hmm. That is really nice. Well, what about, let's go back to the issue of children um, who seem to be moving from house to house. Well, they are moving from house to house um, when they're on a certain schedule uh, when parents have been divorced. So the, the key factor here is that the parents 
have some level of consistency um, with the bedroom environment. What you don't want is you don't want one parent that says it's, it's okay to have a television in the bedroom and another parent that says it's not. Um, that's the type of stuff that even though there's a divorce situation, you still have kids together, there's still things to think through. So understanding what the bedroom environments are in each situation is going to be important. Also, consistency in the bedtimes uh, and the wake-up times is, again, a communication issue between the two parents. Um, the, the biggest issue, again, is when you've got kids who do one thing at one house and another thing at another house. And also, the best way to handle this situation, generally speaking, is with the parents can sit down with the child and say, okay, let's all come to an agreement as to what you're going to do and when you're going to do it, how we're going to wake up, what we're, you know, all of those types of things, because then the child doesn't have any different expectations. Um, everybody's on the same page. And generally speaking, it works significantly better. So while we're talking about transitions, let's talk about coming back to your regular life or to work, um, following a vacation, or look, Christmas is coming up. Um, Many of us are going to have a break uh, during this time. And the transition back, you know, not only do we, you know, have to suddenly look at food a little differently, but that transition back um, from usually sleeping um, later is really, really hard. So is your suggestion just to continue? to be consistent and continue to set that alarm during that period? Or, you know, what about on vacation? I mean, you want to, you do want to sleep in a little. You don't. You'll want to keep it as consistent <laughs> as possible. Um, and don't get me wrong. It's not like I don't get it. It's not like it's not, oh, my gosh, it would be so nice to be able to catch up on my sleep over a vacation weekend, blah, blah, blah. If if it's only a weekend, you're, it's, you need to keep your your sleep schedule fairly consistent. If you got seven days, you know, I'm not the guy that says, hey, don't ever, ever, ever sleep in, but just be prepared that at the end of that, you need to either start ramping back up to your normal wake-up time so that your body doesn't have a major adjustment. Because think about it like this. If you're waking up on vacation at 9, 10 o'clock, and then all of a sudden you give yourself only one night to adjust and have to wake up at 6.30, it's literally like you just crossed four time zones and your body is going to take four days in order to get back to the schedule. So if you think through the logic and the numbers behind it, it kind of starts to make sense of when you should stop sleeping in if you're having an extended vacation. So on Caught Between Generations, we do a lot of discussion about caregiving because most of my listeners are caregivers for multiple generations. Um, And one of the things, of course, we always talk about is, you know, the importance of taking care of yourself, that you can't continue to care for other people when you don't take care of yourself. So in talking about, you know, these issues of when is the best time to do certain things um, and trying to be consistent, what's your suggestion for caregivers who usually have very limited time to refuel um, and to take care of themselves um, in terms of when they should be doing? these types of activities um, okay so the question is is when should they be transitioning for themselves or for the people that they're taking care of no for, for themselves so for instance one of the things you know sometimes we'll talk about is that if you even have a, a few minutes just take a walk outside you right, know absolutely. and ta- and take a few yoga breaths you know right. well is there a better kind of time of day to do that um, that it would be more refueling and I would I would get more out of that few minutes if I did it let's say later in the day rather than the morning sure. or 
it doesn't so there really matter. It turns out, biologically speaking, to be a perfect time to take a nap. Um, and this is something that may or may not be available to caretakers. I don't know if they can take a 15 or 20 minute nap, um, if that's even available to them. But if they can, somewhere between one and three in the afternoon works out well because there's a slight dip in core body temperature, which can cause a significant amount of sleepiness, which might, you could use to your advantage as an example, if you wanted to take a 25 minute nap. Now, that being said, it may also be a good time to get outside and get some sunlight because you are going to feel sleepy during that time more than likely no matter what. So you could use that time between one and three in two ways. One, to take a 15-minute walk, like you were saying, take a yoga breath, get outside, get some sunlight, so that way that melatonin production does not occur, or give yourself an opportunity to lie down for 15 or 20 minutes, set an alarm, and be able to wake up after that. So in talking about um, exercise, is there a best time to exercise? Well, what's the best time for exercise? Mm -hmm. It depends upon your chronotype in most cases. So, um, you know, uh, for example, lions who are early morning people, they're actually going to do much better um, exercising in the early morning hours. Bears, who, again, are my kind of middle people between my lions and my wolves, um, they turn out to do better exercising in the afternoon. However, if you do go and take the quiz and discover that you're a bear, I will tell you that bears don't like to exercise in the afternoon. And nine times out of ten, they won't do it unless they do it in the morning. So while it might be, they might have better performance in their exercise routine, they're certainly not going to be compliant unless it's a morning exercise. So lions and bears have a tendency to exercise more in the morning. Wolves or night people hate exercise. They have low tolerance for pain. They don't really like it. But if you can finally convince them to do something, they're going to be much better off doing it later in the afternoon or early evening. And dolphins, my problem children, are always best to exercise in the early morning. It actually helps calm them down and reduce their anxiety to have some form of cardiovascular exercise. And I'm not talking about running a marathon here. I'm talking about 20 minutes of some type of cardio whether that's walking, running, you know, going to get the mail, walking the dog, whatever. So you've been, we've been talking about the quiz. So why don't you tell us about how you can access the quiz? So the quiz is available online. People can get it for free if you just go to thepowerofwhenquiz.com. It will, uh, you can go in, take the quiz. Check it all out. Uh, there's a cool video from me afterwards that explains your results and gives you something to talk through. Um, it's really quite interesting. Um, and, and people find it great. I mean, you know, and if you like taking the quiz and you want to learn more, always, you know, you can always pick up the book. It's available on Amazon uh, and uh, most local bookstores as well. So uh, we only have a brief period left, but I want to ask you a quick question. And that mm-hmm. is, when talking about chronotypes, do they, they ever change? I mean, could you have an infant, let's say, that has a lot? What we call chrono longevity is actually the change of chronotypes over time. And what we have a tendency to see is this, is as people get a little bit older, they become more medically frail and they move towards either being a lion, which is, again, an early bird, or a dolphin, which is a problem sleeper. Now, don't get me wrong. There are still people um, as they get older who will maintain their current chronotype. But it does have a tendency to change only because of medical frailty or medications that people are taking, which can be disruptive to the sleep cycle. Um, So I I definitely see some changes over time with people. Okay. This is Dr. Merrill. We've been talking to Dr. Michael Bruce, 
who is yeah. a sleep doctor, and we've been talking a lot about the power of when, although, um, Michael, you have other books. Do you want to briefly um, name them for us? I do. So my second book was called The Sleep Doctor's Diet, Lose Weight Through Better Sleep, and my first book was called um, Good Night, The Sleep Doctor's 28-Night Program to Better Sleep and Better Health. So if people are interested, there's lots of the, the books are out there and available. Also, if you make it over to my website, thesleepdoctor.com, I actually now have an online course that people can take to improve their overall sleep quality in under 30 days. Wow, that is great. Wow, yeah. thanks so much. That is really fantastic. I'm obviously personally excited by that, so thank you. Thank you. That is great. Dr. Mike, I highly, highly recommend um, reading Dr. Bruce's books and materials. They've been extremely helpful to many, many people I know, and I have given his material to a lot of people. So um, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you know, it's always a pleasure to, to be on your show, and I can't wait to come back and talk more. So anytime you want me, you got me. Okay, thank you so much. Um, and for the listeners, remember, um, you are very, very important to a lot of people that are around you. So as I always tell you, please just do just one thing, at least one thing for yourself this week, um, to take good care of yourself because you really need to do that in order to keep taking care of all the people in your life that you take really good care of. So take good care of yourself and just one thing for yourself this week. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week.